Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we go to South Africa to talk to Jeremy Opperman, who runs his business, and we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. But uh, Jeremy, welcome. Thank you, Peter. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So, Jeremy, tell me about your academic background. Where did you go to school? I went to the, um, to the University of Cape Town. Um, back in the 80s, and I graduated with a degree in public administration in 1987. Okay. And tell me about your work experience. Where did you work during this time? Well, I've I've had a a dual career. In my first, uh, let's say, 10 years of my career, I... Uh, I, I found myself in the training industry and the, in the back end, uh, marketing and sales of um, training consultancies, uh, two training consultancies particularly, and they were uh, selling and providing uh, business training, particularly leadership training um, and customer service training, and I was the guy that would get the clients. I was in sales and marketing. Um, and then in '99. I went on my own uh, and, and was my own marketing consultant for uh, HR consultants. Um, I knew a lot of clients and I knew a lot of consultants, and so I was the guy that put them together. And then I discovered uh, disability as a product opportunity, as an actual niche. I happened to be blind, and um, we have a law in this country back in 1998 called the Employment Equity Act, and companies had to comply with this Employment Equity Act. And I, as a consultant who knew a lot of corporates, they were asking me, where do I get more information about disability equity? Um, And so nobody knew what was going on in those days. We were literally making this stuff up. And so I became my own consultant for the very first time and started teaching the Employment Equity Act and the code that went with it. And um, that's literally how I began my business, which has had a couple of iterations. It was used to be called Jeremy Oppen and Associates, um, and I'm now rebranding. I'm in the position of rebranding right now, and I'm calling it Disability Desk because my website was always Disability Desk. And it was a toss-up between do you have a brand which – you know, which which is quite clear, Disability Desk is kind of obvious. And on the other hand, do you have a brand which focuses on the name? And I had a good reputation, so it was a bit of a toss-up between the two. But I'm focusing on Disability Desk at the moment. And so for the next, um, well, uh, 22 years, I focused exclusively on diversity, equity, and inclusion, specifically with disability in mind, because, frankly... That's what's been left off the the um, the the table from a diversity point of view. There's been a great deal of energy around race and gender and LGBTQ, etc., but not a great deal of qualified information around disability. And that's what I bring. So that's what I focused on in the last 22 years. 
Do you have other consultants that work with you? or <clears throat> Indeed. Um, certainly. Uh, so there are areas which I simply can't do. Um, a blind man will never, ever, ever be a sign language interpreter or trainer. <laughs> and so when corporates express an interest in sign language training, I have a client, I have a, an associate who I draw on. Um, and I, I have several like that. I have an access specialist or several and then sometimes it's pure capacity. Um, so, you know, in a, in a very good time, I'll have more work than I can possibly do. And so I trained a couple of people up to uh, run the program that I designed. I, I developed a, uh, what I believe to be a very good disability awareness program way back in 2000. And um, I've trained a few people up to run it for me if I can't do it you know, or at the times when I'm really training it. So, yes, certainly I do work with associates. I think it's very important um, that one doesn't try and do everything oneself. Okay, so tell us about some of the programs that you're running. So the, the Bread and Butter program was a thing called Meeting Disability, which is an awareness program. And there's a, there's a distinction in my mind between awareness and sensitization. And I'm, I'm not particularly interested in, in sensitization because it's mostly at a staff level um, and it's mostly quite surface and veneer. I'm interested in awareness, which I, I prefer to work with executives and management and human resource department. And so it goes to the core. The core of the training is there's three things, the why, the what, and the how. And very often disability awareness or disability sensitization focuses on the how. How do I employ more people with disabilities? How do I meet and greet people with disabilities? And I maintain that I could teach you that, but you'd forget it very quickly. And we need what, we, what we're missing is the why. Why is there a, a continuous uh, deficit in understanding of disability and its relationship with mainstream society. If you understand that why, and then you get some data, some real facts and figures, and and break the mythology that surrounds disability, that's the what. Then the how will come naturally, because most of it's common sense. And so that's really the hallmark of my program, is that I spend a great deal of more time on the why than on the other two things put together. Because to my mind, if you can shift a person's mindset um, and get him to think differently, then you're going to get you're going to get some results. And so that's the first thing. The second uh, process that I've, I've I've worked on for many years is what I call eating elephants. Um, it's about strategy, uh, and it's about a strategic approach. I analyzed in my, I mean, I, in over 22 years, you'll appreciate that I've worked with, with a lot of clients. And I analyzed essentially the five common areas that, that company, why companies struggle. The, the five areas, the, the reason why they, they struggle with things like disability integration. And the first is, is that leadership is invariably um, not present or not involved enough or not engaged enough. So leadership very often has an arm's length relationship with stuff like this. Secondly, any initiatives that are done tend to be ad hoc and reactive as opposed to be strategic. Thirdly, 
we tend to work in silos. And so in my country, and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure we're not alone, the bulk of disability equity work tends to be at an HR level and excludes very often the line management levels. Um, and that's a real problem. And so line management very often disregards what HR says. Um, uh, in my country, um, the reason that it's focused only on, on employment, the issue of disability, is because our only legislation supporting disability is labour legislation. We don't have, like Canada and the States and England and Australia, we don't have overarching disability legislation. So our leading legislation is labour. And so HR is usually tasked with dealing with it. So there's that silo problem. The fourth problem is, is that we still have a, too much stereotypic and even unlawful activity. The unlawful um, dismissals of persons with disabilities, the unlawful failure to provide reasonable accommodation. These things aren't necessarily common, but they do exist and they happen. Um, and so while we tolerate that, so there's, an, there's a tacit acceptance or an, a tacit um, issue that these things exist, the unlawful and stereotypic activity. And then the last thing I noticed was that almost never was there a strategic approach with, with, with sustainability in mind. And so taking those five things into account, I realized that disability um, equity strategies were around, but people wrote them in a linear way over 30, 40, 50 pages. Nobody, particularly senior people, read 30, 40, 50 pages of something they don't really understand in the first place. And so I devised a dashboard tool and an approach to simplify the, the strategic approach to disability equity um, and to make it in one page. That's why I call it a dashboard. So that you can show it to whoever is responsible for achieving disability equity in the company can keep it up at an executive level in because it's only on one page. And so it breaks down the, the matter that needed to be dealt with, which was disability. How are we going to, and then you need to make your decisions. You want to employ more people with disabilities, yes. Do you want to even consider people with disabilities as customers? Yes. How are we going to do that? So you break it down into four, essentially four things, four quadrants, leadership, analysis, uh, implementation and maintenance and frankly the most important one of those oh they're all very important particularly leadership but the one that's very often forgotten is maintenance very easy to put in processes and then forget about them and then they just die and so this process can't do it for you but because you've mapped it and you can and it's in one page you can keep your eye on the ball a lot easier and so i've done a lot of work with this eating elephants um, and then the other is just my own consulting, where companies keep me on tap and I attend their employment equity committee meetings uh, with disability equity in mind. And I help, I assist them when they have questions around reasonable accommodation, um, you know, questions about dealing with either staff with disabilities or maybe even customers with disabilities. And, you know, because I have a great deal of knowledge, both from a personal perspective and uh, you know, my own professional work, I'm able to save them time and money 
rather than they go down the wrong route and ask the wrong people. So, <clears throat> Jeremy, with the pandemic, has that increased or decreased your business? Mm. It, it did require a shift. Um, it, it, there was a, it, I had, a, I had a, an interesting issue that I had one of my clients turned into a full-time client. She's never ideal in a consulting position. Um, and that ended literally as the, as the pandemic started. And so I found myself short on clients because I spent all my energy on one client. I was, I was quite literally engaged by them for five years. Um, and so the first year of the pandemic was very difficult uh, to pivot and to, to try. And, uh, and I think a lot of people struggled in that time. But the second time, the second year, um, I was able to get some more clients. Um, and so I had obviously had to start working online. And quite frankly, I discovered... I don't know whether it's because I'm blind, but I discovered that actually this is a great medium. And I was able to do webinars, which for free, but those in turn resulted in work. Um, and I ran webinars on, on disability and HR practices and disability and access issues um, and then some work. And I was able to run my workshop online. Uh, which was challenging because it's a very participatory workshop. And it was it was terrific, actually, learning curve to work out how to best utilize the the online medium. Uh, it's it, it, um, very beneficial doing on things online because you don't have to worry about getting to the client and the drama of traveling. You know, I, when I travel, I travel with a guide dog. So that comes with its own interesting issues. Uh, not that it's a problem, it's just, you know, there's, there's more to it. And so the, doing everything, my, di my guide dog has never forgiven me um, for doing everything online. I hardly get out anymore. <laughs> Interesting. So how do you measure the results of your work? It's a good question. And it's unfortunately, I'm going to be completely frank here. Unfortunately, if a client is only intending, well, they don't know that they're going to be doing ad hoc and reactive work. But I can see it. And if you don't have the sufficient leadership buy-in, and there isn't sufficient investment in what we're doing on a large, they think they're doing a great job. Um, then, unfortunately, the stickability of the work is not going to be good. Um, and, and it always makes me very sad. And I'll give you an example. So there was there's a large financial institution, household name, mostly insurance, not banking, but mostly insurance, reassurance, and that sort of thing, and, and investment. And I was tasked some years ago to do their entire disability strategy. And I was having a terrific time. And I, I did a great deal. And they employed more people with disabilities and there were some structures I was able to put into place. And then my client left, not just my client, but her boss as well. And they just, they went because that's what happens here. We have a lot of mobility. Um, we call it equity mobility. So people of color in this country have great equity, particularly if they're women. And they find themselves sought after 
And so they're headhunted or they, you know, they choose another job, better money, better whatever. And so when my clients left, and this has happened on numerous occasions with me, um, you can sometimes create the new client within the next person's coming in, but there's almost always a hiatus. There's almost always a break in the trajectory and in the in the in the actual impetus itself, and which is which is quite sad. So that's the. I just wanted to put that out there because it's a real thing. Um, the the other way I measure it was certainly with training. What I found quite gratifying was providing. I haven't yet worked out how to do it online, um, so I haven't done it I, this year yet uh, or last year. But before in a training session, I would begin by them filling in a very short, literally a half a page form on their understanding of disability. And at the end, I would get them to, to finish the other side. And you could see the you could see the transition, you could see the shift. And then I would take that in and then I would, you know, and I would structure that into a, a report. And so that you could see, and I mean, and I, I honestly believe that was genuine because people, the people really do have a, a huge deficit in their understanding of disability in the context of society. And it's more prominent in this, prominent in this country, um, I think, because we've got a great deal on as well. But the, the, the real problem of disability integration in the world is that um, people don't always acknowledge persons with disabilities as bona fide members of society able to participate at every level. And that's the, that's the big deal. And because of that, many people, and especially in my country, and I can't speak for Canada, obviously, because I suspect your citizens would, in, would encounter people with disabilities more often in the workplace, in public transport, um, at schools, at university, in shops, that sort of thing. In my country, you absolutely don't see them in public transport. You almost never see them in the school situation. You'll see them occasionally in a tertiary education situation, and you absolutely won't see them en masse in a working situation. So what happens is, is that you have a, an absolute deficit in terms of your understanding of disability, um, in terms of an engagement level. And so that's why it's so important to, to um, help them to shift their mindset, which is why I believe that little survey before and after the training actually was the truth and worked to an extent. Okay. So let's talk numbers for a minute. You yeah. send me a, an information piece that you'd presented in over 800 workshops, reaching in excess of 9,000 executives. And You've done assessments with 230 managers, more than 150 staff with disabilities nationwide. Mm. That's uh, very impressive. And I'll bet you I had some fun doing it. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, you have to have a sense of humor with this game. <laughs> uh, so we did have fun doing that. I mean, it, especially that survey, those two surveys, they were a product I developed in, earlier in the 2000s 
And my wife is a therapist, and she's a very, very good interviewer. And I actually roped her in to devise that those two surveys, the surveys of management and the surveys of employees with disabilities. It became very clear very quickly that there was a clear, clear pattern uh, in terms of the data to the point where I could almost predict what they were going to say. And that was an endorsement that we're on the right track in terms of what we believe. We weren't making this stuff up. There were no assumptions being made because we actually had that evidence. I, I stopped doing it as a product because my wife became very busy in her own practice. And so I haven't actually run, that's why there's only 200. By now, there would be 1,200 um, people interviewed. But so I, I stopped doing that for a while, but it was a, it was a terrific uh, because it, we could walk with that data into the company and say, this is what your managers are saying. Um, we obviously, we, we, we sanitized it by taking out the names, obviously, so they didn't know who said what. And so it was a great way of actually getting in and proving a point. Um, running all those workshops, I, I, many people have said to me, how could you possibly run over 800 workshops? Didn't you get bored with the material? And the answer is no, because every single workshop was in a sense like a survey because it's very um, involved. And I, I go to a lot of trouble to engage the people, particularly in the beginning. And so you learn, you, I, it was, you, you learn, you can't believe the kind of stuff that people came up with negative and positive so yeah it was I, I loved every single one of them um, particularly the senior ones and the HR ones and the management ones yeah so it was it was good and then there was access we did a great deal of access auditing there's no numbers associated but they're in the hundreds and hundreds of auditing buildings um, with, and I got involved in some of that myself and I worked for that big client which turns out to be a government client I was involved in our province I, I was asked by the premier of our province to create a disability desk in the province and I spent five years doing that until 20 end of 2019 and it was terrific and I could they, they let me have carte blanche um, in terms of things I had to do I didn't have a single penny's budget and I didn't need it there was, there was an awful lot to do to ensure that there were best practices and better practices, looking at auditing policies, auditing buildings, um, putting in structures. I mean, a really interesting example was they had a, um, a what do you call it, um, a contract, if you like, for this is now the Department of Infrastructure. Um, transport and transport, yeah, uh, infrastructure and transport. I forget the name fully now. Anyway, it was infrastructure, and their job is to maintain the infrastructure of their buildings. And you can imagine a, a, a provincial government is a, is a lot of buildings. And I put into place an essential clause that they've never had before, which in which forced their contractors to take access into account, and where access could be shown not to have been taken into account. It was to the contractor's budget. In other words, it was his problem to fix it at his cost. And that, that opened up their eyes, and they loved that because, you know, otherwise they would have to have fixed the mistake. And so that meant that contractors got to learn. So contractors got quite savvy about access because we were waving this thing over their heads. Don't make a mistake because if you mess it up, you're going to pay for it. And... 
I reckon that was probably the, the, the single most significant thing I did in that time. So, yeah, having fun, is uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to put it. So, Jeremy, where where is the business going to be three years from today? My business particularly or yes. the whole industry? No, no, your my business. business. No, my business will be strong, um, stronger. I'm, I'm learning... Um, I'm learning to use the online, online environment more. Um, the game's changed, uh, Peter. Um, in, I can't believe how rapidly the game's changed in the last three, four years. Away from, I'm still one of those old war horses that used to pick up the telephone and do cold calling. You can't do that anymore. Uh, most people work from home. Switchboards don't work in the same way as they used to. Uh, people are operating from their cell phones, and there's all sorts of changes in the game. Um, and I've I've had to embrace that and learn it more. So I see my business in three years' time being very involved um, in an online environment still. Even if we all go back to work, I think well, the whole world has learned that this is a great medium. And so I see myself doing a lot more online work uh, podcasting, uh, webinars. I believe uh, I have a, a, you know, I have a skill in that area that I think I can utilize more. Um, I think in three years' time, I'll be utilizing more people to do the work that I used to do, and I would be concentrating more on strategic and executive stuff. Um, but uh, that's yeah, that's 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 where I see. It's not terribly specific, I'm afraid, but uh, that's really what I'm seeing. Okay, so what is your website, uh, Jeremy, so that people can reach out to you? Good. So my website is just in the process. I'm just about to launch it. Literally, it's, it's, it's days away from relaunching. It's www.disabilitydesk.co.za. And so literally within about... 72 hours it will be live right now it takes you to the old site but i'm pretty sure by the time this goes out it will be live and i can be found at jeremy at disabilitydesk.co.za that's terrific you are a social enterprise you may not realize it but you are an organization that gives back to community and uh, so you should be using that term with your clients that you are a social enterprise. Yes, and, and you're absolutely right. I do believe I am. Um, we had a, I had a business partner earlier in the 2000s that we had a, a very strict policy that we never charged individuals with disabilities for any work we did with them, uh, and that all the corporate work allowed us to do more work for individuals. Um, and it was, and so I, I don't, I, I haven't deviated from that. I do exactly that. And so I think you're correct. And thank you for endorsing that uh, I am a social enterprise. I do believe I am. Well, thank you for your uh, time this afternoon, Jeremy. And uh, we expect great things. And we'd like to hear more about you from a YouTube channel or something like that. Yes, indeed, and the YouTube channel exists, um, and it will be live literally within hours, or, you know, 100 hours or so, it'll be live, and I'll be growing that a great deal, and in fact, yeah, I mean, when this podcast is, is, is floated, uh, I would very much like to be able to share it on my website, 